The Tragedy of Cinema podcast is intended as a family-friendly program that by extension strives to be inclusive to all people regardless of their ethnicity, gender, creed, or any other identifying factors in this incredibly diverse world of ours. With that said, some of the films we discuss may contain serious subject matters or have content considered morally objectionable by today's standards. We do not intend to condone or dismiss these aspects of these films, but our primary focus will be on what we believe our film succeeds at, some fun facts, and our personal enjoyment factors of each film. With that said, we hope you enjoy the show. This where I'm supposed to say, what is all this about? And he says, uh, shut up, I asked the question. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And it happens every day. Right profile. Sit down. Sit down. What the hell are you doing here? That's right. I'm getting ready to sing Swanee. Swanee, how I love you, how you. When some passerby invites your eye to come her way. There's gonna be a lot of people looking for me as a result of my lovely wife. If it was a murderer, he murdered his wife. That's a lie. I know he didn't kill and, her. He and, couldn't and I'll tell you something else. It's a minor crime, a minor crime, a misdemeanor to kill your wife. The major crime is he stole my money. Your friend stole my money, and the penalty for that is capital punishment. Even as she smiles a quick hello, you let her go. I like your face, too. Could you find my husband for me, please, Mr. Marler? You let the moment fly. I'm a man cannot stand confinement. Who the hell are you? Well, I'm this here private investigator who was sent here this afternoon to uh, find you. Did you come here to see me or my wife? It's not his business. Write the check, Roger. What check? Write the check, Roger. Whoa. Lady, you turn your head. You know you said the long goodbye. Never learn. You're a born loser. What do you think, Mabel? Ow! If you have any trouble, I'll back you up. I have fresh evidence now for you to reopen the Terry Lennox case. You ever think about suicide, Marlboro? Me? I don't believe in it. Don't you try to be nice to me now. I'm leaving and it's goodbye. I ain't running after you in the rain when you're catching a plane. No more. Goodbye, goodbye, goodbye. I'm through, I'm through this time, and I mean it. Tracy, we are so excited for our upcoming live event in Indianapolis with Tragedy of Cinema and Middle Aged and Creeped Out. Yes, we're looking forward to seeing all of you. I'm Todd. I'm Nate. And I'm Sean. And we are Middle Aged and Creeped Out. We are looking forward to sharing some creepy stories with all of our hometown listeners. 
I'm Jimbo with The Tragedy of Cinema. And I'm Kyle, also with Tragedy of Cinema. Indy is also our hometown, and we have the perfect horror movie to break down for you guys. Come out and see us on Saturday, July 16th at the VFW on South Lockburn and help veterans at the same time. All three shows are clean, so this is a family-friendly event. Tickets are just $20. Seating is limited, so get your tickets now at hillbillyhorrorstories.com. Alright guys, welcome back to the Tragedy of Cinema. I am your host Jimbo, and today I'm joined by... The private investigator, Kyle Zaner. Kyle Zaner. <laughs> uh, we will be talking about a Philip Marlowe movie, The Long Goodbye, uh, episode 106. Mm-hmm. Um, and Kyle, before we get going, I will have a question for you, but only a few short days, I'm talking like less than a week, maybe like four days by the time this comes out... For our live show in Indianapolis, July 16th. So if you haven't got your tickets yet, go to hillbillyhorrorstories.com or go to Eventbrite and search us up. Yeah, it's funny. The, the excitement, it's creeping up on me now in a way. It's like, oh gosh, this is real. This is actually happening. And uh, it's like, ah, I'm going to meet all you people and scream. It's going to be great. Uh, Kyle will get there. He'll just sit there quietly the whole entire time. Just yelp. Hi, I'm Savage Bay People. Do you like my show? Don't hate me. It's going to be really, really fun. Bring a, bring a Royale cheese. <laughs> uh, so, um, Kyle, so the question is, okay. Kyle. This is about a detective named Philip Morrow. Who would you say is the greatest detective of all time, non-Batman? <laughs> oh, I didn't want you to take the cheesy way out. <laughs> um, <laughs> the greatest detective of all time. Uh, gosh, who was uh, was Kuzo? What was his name? Um, I'm thinking of uh, blah, 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 blah. I'm gonna get it in just a moment here. I gotta look. I gotta make sure I pronounce the name right. Um, like David Caruso or whatever his name was. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking of. Death in the Nile character and uh, uh, oh no, uh, uh, Hercule Poirot. Hercule Poirot. Yeah, yeah. I think that's probably one of my favorite. Like de- you know, like kind of the quintessential detective, and not like 1950s noir grizzled detective, but like just like cool. Um, cool-headed detective, uh, War Two style stuff. I think uh, Perot is probably the coolest one of the group. I'm going with right uh, Dick Tracy. Dick Tracy's also that. That's the classic choice. You're not, you're not wrong. I won't disagree. I was going to go with Darkwing Duck. Yeah. But Darkwing Duck. We, we better go. Yeah, actually, you can't use Batman. <laughs> I did. I used Duckman. Duckman. Duck <laughs> Darkwing Duck. He's so dangerous. Okay. Let's get dangerous. Yeah, let's get dangerous. When there's yeah. trouble, you call DW. Mm-hmm. Darkwing Duck. So. Um, this movie is one that Kyle suggested, so if you guys hate this movie, it's all his fault. Exactly. And if I, um, I've had this one in the backlog since like before we even started recording podcasts right. together. And so <laughs> I actually watched this movie, Yeah. Um, and we'll talk about the train wreck as we go along. So. It, it's it's hilarious to me, because like, I've, I've been like having this in the backlog for so long, and then we finally got to it, and then I realized, like, oh god, Jim was not going to like this at all. And sure enough, he didn't like this at all. <laughs> Spoilers, folks. It's not. Uh, we'll get to it. We'll, we'll get to it. There's more uh, so, details than that. It's not yeah. that simple. Yeah, no, it's, it's really not that simple. I mean, how do you put a train wreck, and then we'll just go from there. Sure. Uh, so, Kyle, let's go ahead and talk about the long goodbye. What was it? Nineteen seventy-three. I wasn't even born yet. I know. Neither was I. <laughs> <laughs> surprise, surprise. 
<laughs> yes, yes, I'll get into it here. The Long Goodbye, released on March 7th, 1973. Directed by Robert Altman, the classic Robert Altman. Also directed the MASH movie and a few other movies, too. So, great director there. Um, writers was uh, um, Lee Brackett for the screenplay. And the original novel was um, by Raymond Chandler for The Long Goodbye. Producer was Jerry Bick. Composer was John Williams. Um, and let's see here. Moving on to the budget here, we have a budget of $1.7 million. Um, not necessarily actually that modest for the time, actually, in 1973. And um, just for inflation, that'd be $11.2 million today. Um, so once again, not you know, not a not a not not aggressively like large or small budget, but just like right the kind of the money of like what I expect from like the nineteen seventies. Um, gross worldwide though, this is where we get the big bucks rolling in, right? Right? No, no, this movie <laughs> flopped so hard. <laughs> We're talking like Morbius levels of oh no, what did we do? <laughs> Give it to us, guys. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It, um, it, it grossed a total worldwide of twenty-one thousand six hundred nineteen dollars. Twenty-one thousand. Twenty-one thousand dollars of a one point seven million dollar budget. <laughs> what was that for inflation? Uh, for inflation, that's one hundred forty-two thousand and three hundred twenty-three dollars. Oh, basically, like you're in the realm of like a small business loan was the earnings of this. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's kind of like the realms that you're in, like you're like you know, like you can't buy a house to that money today. <laughs> oh, <laughs> let alone um, make your gross worldwide. <laughs> that's not like that's not like even like so it wasn't that's just not even like opening not weekend. That's not even like opening weekend bad. That's that's, that's that's the gross entirely for the film. It's like for years, it's like the theatrical release. It's <laughs> like buy. one weekend theater for the <laughs> Marvel thing. Exactly, <laughs> just one theater. Yeah, one theater. Yeah, one. Theater makes that money for a Marvel movie now, <laughs> if not a lot more for one day. For one day, even. <laughs> yeah. No, you you sure know how to pick them, Kyle. I know, I know, I know. I, I sure do. I sure do. <laughs> so let's move on to some technical details. Still, I still love this film, by the way. <laughs> we have technical details. Sound mix. This is a mono audio, so just one channel going on for it. Color info. This is a colored film, and aspect ratio. It's two point three five by one. Camera used was the Panavision PSR R200 and the Panavision C-Series lenses, the Panavision Panaflex, and the Panavision C-Series lenses as well. Uh, let's see here. Going on to uh, release once again. It was on March 7, 1973. Filmed all over California for the filming locations. Not going to get too in the weeds there in the details. And let's see. Going on to the awards. The awards. This movie has like the longest tail ever from like release, no one caring about it, to like years or decades or even half a century later we were going like you know this movie's actually pretty good <laughs> nearly half a century later not having been half a century yet it's been only 40 years <laughs> 40 years no 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 it's 50 years now 73 to now 49 it's 49 almost 50 years nearly half a century later we're just getting recognized so in 2021 just last year this film was added to the national film preservation board for how not to do a movie and how right, bad right. it is. Right, right, right. <laughs> wow, you were more generous at breakfast today. I'll give you. <laughs> um, 1974, it won the um, Best Cinematography for the National Society of Film Critic Awards. So it was getting recognized for the time, Jimbo, is a good movie. And in 1973, it also was nominated for the Best Film at the San Sebastian International Film Festival. You know, you know it's, it's a... 
it's getting awards. They make up awards just to give this movie an award, you know. <laughs> the National Society of Film Critic Awards, Jimbo. I think they're. I think the NSFC would like to have a word of you <laughs> about their award from 1974. <laughs> let's, let's bring them up. I got some words for them too. <laughs> and moving on here, um, that's that's all for the awards. Now, Pulp Fiction has like 20 pages of awards, and Jimbo still hated that one too. <laughs> it was better than this film. <laughs> I, I like long way better. Okay, okay, Jimbo, we'll get to it later. We'll get to it later. We had a reasonable disagreement last week. This week, I'm going to get boxing gloves out. We're going to hash it out. Okay, long goodbye cast. We have Elliot Gold playing the classic pirate investigator Philip Marlowe, previously played by um, Humphrey Bogart in 1950s uh, The Big Sleep. If you remember Philip Marlowe, the character, the book character. Anyway, well, we got to do that movie. Um what did I say? The Lady in the la- uh, the Lady in the Lake is that the name of it? I showed you that, where you that. actually play Philip Marlowe along with oh, Philip Marlowe. Oh, that's right. You, you uh, somebody requested that a long time ago, and I can't remember for the life of me who it was. But we're going to do that here soon. Isn't Lady in the Lake that M Night Shyamalan film though? I think you're thinking of the wrong. No, part. that's Lady in the Water. Oh, it's Lady in the Water. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So um, Elliot Gold also being in such films such as um, Trapper John on the Mar- on the Mash um, movie um, back in nineteen, I believe it was seventy nineteen seventy. I believe it was. I didn't write down the year for that one. And um, he was also in the Oceans, uh, the Oceans movie, Oceans Eleven, Oceans Twelve, Oceans Thirteen, released in two thousand one, two thousand four, and two thousand seven, respectively. So he was in that trilogy of movies. He was also in Capricorn One in nineteen seventy seven, and uh, um, um, not his most recent film, but a film a lot of people have probably watched recently in the past three years. Um, the movie Contagion in twenty eleven. I feel like a lot of people were watching that in twenty twenty repeatedly <laughs> for obvious reasons. <laughs> but excellent movie right there. Um, next up, we have Sterling Hayden playing Roger Wade. He was such films such as The Asphalt Jungle in nineteen fifty, Johnny Guitar in nineteen fifty four, and The Killing in nineteen fifty six. Next up, we have Nina Van Paulant playing Ellen Eileen Wade. She was in the movies Jungle Warriors in 1984, American Gigolo in 1980, and The Richest Girl in the World in 1958. Then we have Mark Rydell playing Marty Augustine. He was in the movies such as On Golden Pond in 1981, Intersection in 1994, and The Rose in 1979. Then we have Henry Gimson playing Dr. Verringer. He was in the movie The Burbs in 1989. Nashville in 1975, Inner Space in 1987. Oh, that's a funny movie. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, and Jim B- Bowden plays Terry Lennox. Um, he was in such films as uh, well, a couple documentaries. He was in the uh, uh, documentary. I believe it's documentary. I haven't seen it myself, but uh, the the battered bastards of baseball in 2014 and Knuckleball in 2012. And he was also in the movie How Did You Know in 2010. Um, Jim Bowden is best known as also being a, a Major League Baseball player um, between the years 1962 and 1978. He played for the Yankees, the Braves, the Pilots, and the Astros during his time as a Major League Baseball player. So that's what he's most likely most well-known for. Not movies, especially not this one because no one saw it. <laughs> and then last but not least, we have David Arkin playing Harry. Um, he's also another. Um, uh, he was also in the the MASH movie in the 1970s. And All the President's Men in 1976, and Nashville in 1975. Robert Ullman likes to continually use his actors for every movie he went through an entire career as a director, so that's why you see Elliot Golden, a lot of the actors like reappear, like Henry Gibson and David Arcan for movies like Nashville and those kind of things, like too. So that is the very short you and brief cast. Forgot one of the main characters. Who would I forget? Oh, Morris oh. the Cat. Morse the cat. You're right. Uh, I was thinking of the one that with all the muscles. I was thinking of that one. Oh, yeah. Well, that one, too. (laughs) 
Yes, this. <laughs> but I, I, a... I, I didn't want to save the. I did. I, I wanted to save the showstopper for like closer to the end. Okay, well, yeah, it's in my notes. <laughs> but uh, yeah, Morris the cat. You know, he did his first finicky trick uh, routine in this film. So, mm-hmm. yeah. um, Kyle, give us a uh, synopsis of this movie. Okay, I, I have the synopsis kind of in my mind this time. Actually, I feel like somewhat prepared. But um, private investigator Phil Marlowe uh, Phil Marlo is um, sh- um, met in the middle of the night by his friend Terry Lennox, who he takes to Mexico, uh, who he drives down to Mexico from California over like a like whatever a four or five hour drive. And by the time he gets back, the cops are waiting for him there and they arrest him. And they tell him that Terry Lennox had killed his wife, but he doesn't believe them. And he's in, um, and the, he refuses to cooperate with the police, so they keep him in jail for like two to three, three days. days yeah. And then he gets out and he begins uh, investigating what happened to his friend Terry Lennox. And in the meantime, a uh, his uh, a woman named Eileen Wade calls him to. Um, help find her husband, who uh, is an uh, alcoholic and uh, um, probably in rehab, hiding in a rehab facility somewhere. And as he continues his investigation of both these things, he realizes they're both interconnected in some weird way. And to uncover that whole thing, he has to do a he has to go through a low lot of uh, BS. Oh, also, there's a drug subplot where uh, another uh, kind of a mobster-like individual is asking him where uh, ask, is accusing uh, Philip of stealing his three hundred fifty thousand dollars. And that's interconnected as well with the whole story of Eileen and Terry Lennox and the mobsters. And so Philip Marlowe has could to think of is... untangle this whole mess. Come on, Eileen. <laughs> just, just, just keeps going. Oh, like, come on, Eileen. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. All right, so let's uh, talk about the long, long goodbye. It's a long goodbye. Hear that song only 20 times in the movie, don't worry. Yeah. Uh, well, thank you for bringing out my next point. Except for Hooray for Hollywood at the beginning and at the end. All the music in this film is different arrangements of the theme tune. The long goodbye. Playing the piano. There's the American... The, the, there's the, Mexican, the uh, funeral. Mexican yeah, funeral, right. long goodbye. And the very beginning has the, the original recording of it. And then, uh, yeah, I think there's a couple more things there, too. And, yeah, Hooray for Hollywood. It's just it's uncredited in the movie, and it just appears in the credits scene. So yeah. that's all we get there. Um, Elliot Gold improvised the scene in police custody in which he smears fingerprint ink all over his Getting face. Getting ready for the game. Just yeah. a football player. That's just like Kyle on any regular Saturday night. Just with the ink just going over his face. I, I, I love the whole style of how he wants to like not cooperate with the police and just not saying anything while still talking and owning the scene. Yeah. He controls the whole environment with his attitude right there um, in a really cool way where it's like, you know, like the police clearly know the routine. He knows the routine too. So he's just like, I'm just going to ride along this. I'm not giving you anything you want until you give me what I want, which is information about what's going on. So that's really kind of it's kind of cool to see him be so. Uh, uh, I feel like this film plays against type because he's a little bit of a foolish-looking character, but when time when push comes to shove, he's as he's a competent Philip Marlowe as a detective still. Yeah. So a cool little duality there. Uh, Keep going. The location for Sterling Hayden's home was actually Robert Altman's home at the time. Oh, cool! Save money there. That's for sure. Mm-hmm. And um, well, I'll get to that in a minute. Okay. We, we want to say in a minute. the show stop. Let me just say, I'll be back. I'll to be that. back. I'll be back <laughs> to that. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sterling Hayden wrote all of his own scenes. Um, the license plate number of Mercedes Benz that Eileen Wade uh, drove read "Love You." L O V Y O U. That's hilarious. Um, it's so dark and sad too. <laughs> movie stars impersonated at the entrance of the Malibu Colony by its gatekeeper included who? Do you know? Oh, gosh, I do not have a list on top of my head. I really don't. Cary Grant. Cary Grant. James Stewart. Barbara Stanwyck. Remember when he's like, yeah. hey, that guy back there, he likes uh, Walter Brennan. Walter I just Brennan. don't know. I don't know. 
what? It's like, what are you talking about? Uh, Philip Marlowe's uh, fee was $50 per day plus expenses. Mm-hmm. Uh, Philip Marlowe's friend Terry Lennox was a non-actor, former Major League Baseball pitcher Jim Bouton, who is all the author, also the author of the best-selling book Ball Four. And here we go. Yes, let me find the uh, actual one I wanted to read. Uh, that's not it. That's not it. Just the all right, here one. you go. Yes. When the re- police are responding to the suicide of Roger Wade, Philip Marlowe becomes irate that they don't believe that Roger Wade could have murdered Terry Lennox's wife. He yells that he's going to call Ronald Reagan, who was then the governor, to press, uh, protest their inaction. In the very next scene, Marlowe is brought to Marty Augustine's officer for a shakedown. One of Augustine's bodyguards is an uncredited role of Arnold Schwarzenegger, who was later elected governor of California. So technically, Marlowe, in a way, got to meet the governor. Got to meet the governor. Right. Um, which is, this is interesting too. Gold's birthday is August 29th. Judgment Day from Terminator 2, Judgment Day, which, uh, was also starred. Um, Arnold Schwarzenegger was released on August 29th. Yeah. <laughs> He's so Arnold Schwarzenegger is so random in that scene. So I was, uh, I remember I was watching uh, the YouTube channel is dead now, but it was originally it was called Rev Three Games, and Adam Sessler, a popular video game journalist, Adam Sessler was on there, and uh, he was he was he he recommended the film as like a Netflix promo because it was on Netflix for, like one month only, basically like that. It's like watch that and you'll see a really interesting. Um, uh, uh, interrogation scene in a mobster room, and you'll see an unusual actor being placed there. And sure enough, it's like I watched the scene, and I finally like, wait, wait a minute, is that that is? Oh my god! Mm-hmm. And you see Arnold Schwarzenegger there, and he's like three times the size of every other man in that room. He doesn't have any dialogue, and the only scene he's in is a scene where he has to take off all his clothes. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like the most random scene of like, what? Did you just walk on the set and no one said no? <laughs> <laughs> so who's going to go up to him and say no? Exactly. So I don't belong here. He belongs anywhere he stands. <laughs> right. Um, yeah, yeah, so... It was such a surprise just seeing him randomly. He didn't have no lines in the film, which is even funnier. But uh, this He's is actually... credited in the film. This is actually his second screen role. Mm-hmm. Do you know what his first one was? Uh, I used to. When you were, there was a list there? Or I no, I don't up. have a list. I'll look it up. Uh, two taglines on movie posters for the picture were fabricated Philip Marlowe quotes. They were... Nothing says goodbye like a bullet. <laughs> Jeez. And I have two friends in the world. One is a cat. The other is a murderer. <laughs> that's like the perfect that's, movie that's, poster. That's a really good line. I wish they said in the film. <laughs> um, sadly, Elliot Gold had not worked in two years. Gold had been blackballed in the film industry due to his erratic behavior on the set of A Glimpse of the, the Tiger, Tiger. Yes. Which um, eventually morphed into What's Up, Doc? Mm-hmm. Uh, but Robert Altman insisted on casting Gold in this film served as a comeback for him. That's good. That's good to hear. I mean, if anything, like I think, like it would almost damage his career because I mean, how hard it flopped, you, but it did have critical appraisal. Do you know what his erratic behavior was, Kyle? You looked at uh, that supposedly a bit, he was accused of using drugs on the set of uh, Glimpse of the Tiger, and that was causing him not to come on the set on time and do the job. So they canceled that whole production, and that caused him to be blackballed by the film industry because they didn't see him as a reliable actor anymore to actually get the job done. And then also some of his films just weren't um, as financially successful as they felt like they needed to be for his career to continue growing. Um, I feel like he's just he's kind of been the precipice of being like a mainstream like leading guy or being like a competent supporting actor and like he's wavered in between those kind of things over his um, his entire career and so uh, that's where like 
I wouldn't even say like he got blackballed because he kept making films every single like he he made a, he was in a lot of films, but like he had diminished roles, kind of going up and down. So that's the thing he kind of had. So are you saying uh, he is the original Tiger King? <laughs> I never watched that documentary, so I'm not going to say yes or no. I'm not doing that. <laughs> I was not on the bandwagon of what it was. <laughs> Did you find Arnold's first? I'm trying to right now. Maybe if I find. Oh well, his first feature film was Hercules in New York. Oh, Hercules in New York is actually the first one. Actually, yeah, but his uncredited one. I can't find first uncredited, but like uncredited cameo. The very next uncredited cameo is The Long Goodbye. So I think actually just Hercules in New York. Do you have these? First movie, which is 1970, three years before this movie. Uh, Marlowe's car was a 1948 Lincoln Continental Cabriolet that belonged to Elliot Gould. In 2013, it was in the National Automobile Museum uh, for the Hara Collection in Reno, Nevada, and where it had been repainted yellow. Repainted yellow? Oh, wow. That's not a good car to look yellow, I think. But, uh, uh, okay, I'll take that. Yeah, I think that's that, that car is more appealing. It just has Elliot Gould's car and not as the Long Goodbye car. I mean, the Long Goodbye just isn't a car movie for one, and secondly, it just never had. It, it, you know, it doesn't have that same cult following other car other car films have. So, I don't think his car is really a character in this film, even though it is featured in a few scenes. Marlowe always wears a tie with American flags on it. The tie looks plain red in the movie due to the cinematographer Vilmos Zygmunt's post-flashing techniques. See, I saw cinematographer there too, and I just said, like, I'm not going to even try. (laughs) (laughs) Read that name. (laughs) There's one thing that bothered me about this movie. Elliot Gold smokes in every scene. I mean, every scene he is lighting up it a is, cigarette. It is definitely a thing where, like, how many things are we going to keep? He's from, in the like, ocean. Like, <laughs> I, I know, was like, how, is he smoking in the ocean? Like, yeah, how many I'm, things are we going to keep, like, going as, like, a private a private investigator kind of trope? Because, like, that is a private investigator trope. They always have a pistol. They always have a cigarette. And they're or a very pipe. cynical. Or a pipe or something like that. But every single time every he's single time, he's always, no matter he's where always he's smoking at. a cigarette or something like that. Yeah. Just back to back. He was, you know, Philip Marlowe was a two pack a day kind of guy. Two pack. That was a two pack an hour. Uh, director cameo Robert Altman um, has a cameo as uncredited as the man in front seat of the ambulance. Mm-hmm. Oh, I didn't know that. That's cool. Front seat of the ambulance. I don't even know that was in the movie. <laughs> Do what? I had to go back and like rewatch that scene. Like, oh yeah, that's him. I guess. Yeah, we got hit by the car, probably. Yeah. Um, a spoiler, Robert Altman received a copy of the script while shooting images in Ireland. He liked the ending because it was so out of character for Marlowe. He agreed to direct it, but only if the ending was not changed. Mm, I know Ellie Gold also did the same thing. He only agreed to play the role if they if they did not if they agreed not to change the ending like after he accepted the role. Um, uh, there were three Dobermans used for the suicide scene. According to Nina Van Paladin, uh, there was one that was fierce, one that was less fierce. And one that went into the water. <laughs> wow. That's funny. He's a good boy. He's a good boy. He runs right into the water, yeah. I, gotta assume I'm I think sure. the one that ran into the water was kind of like the crazy one from uh, The Lion King. You know, the one uh, yeah, yeah, that's where the three hyenas, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so they got the fly Roger Waits' dogs. Uh, uh, that was scary, though. I liked them a lot. In Leia Brackett's original ending for the screenplay adapt- adaptation, Roger shoots himself. Whereas in Raymond Chandler's original, Eileen shoots him. But in the movie... He commits his own. He commits suicide. No, yeah. in the movie, Roger. Yeah, Wright, yeah, Roger, yeah, yeah, yeah. He walks into the ocean. I was thinking of. Uh, he was going to swim to Mexico and <laughs> kill Terry Lynch himself. So, Kyle, <laughs> should we end on a downer or a high? Well, no, not yet. Let's uh, let's let's talk a little bit about this movie because there is some fun parts of this movie where um, the drug people actually put somebody to tell. Uh, oh Marlo. yeah. Mm-hmm. What was Harry. his name? Harry. Harry yeah. yeah. 
And Harry is just like, he's hilarious in this movie because when you're telling somebody, you're not supposed to know that you're being tailed. Right. Yeah. Um, but uh, Philip Marlowe, yeah, yeah. as soon as he wakes up in the morning, goes off to do his investigative work, uh, he just goes right downstairs, goes right up to Harry's car, says, hey, listen, Harry, here's my address in case you get lost trying to tell me as we go down the road. Uh, I'm going to be going this place, this place, and this place, just so you know. I'm happy to be tailed by you. Uh, you know, you're the best guy in the game, so I'm really happy, happy to see you. And he's like, thanks, Phil. <laughs> Harry's like, thanks, Phil. Really appreciate it. And so then... <laughs> Philip Mealy runs to a car, starts driving off, and like Harry's looking at the note, is like, "Oh yeah, I got too much." <laughs> he starts him. cleaning his yeah. car out. Mm-hmm. He starts cleaning his car out, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, it's just. <laughs> and so then they get to the, I think it's Roger's house, right? Yeah, and, uh, they go to Roger's house. He's like Harry. He's like, you know, when you're supposed to tail somebody, you're not supposed to <laughs> let, let them know them. you're following them. Yeah, because <laughs> Roger goes in just to walk in right beside him, like he's his partner or something. Yeah. So he goes to the door, and you see Harry jump up on the door door. We're like, yeah, and Marlo like, opens the door. And Harry's still stuck on the door. You know yeah. what I mean? <laughs> so, great, almost like almost slapstick levels of lunacy. We're just like, you're an idiot, Harry. Love you, but you're an idiot. That right. kind of idea. Um, um, that's Marty Augustine's goon. Obviously, look the mob, the mobster's kind of goon, crime lord. I guess Anyways. I'll go with my take on this first. Go ahead. <laughs> Proceed. Um, I let me preface this by saying I like detective You're movies. You're tearing me apart, Lisa. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> I like detective movies a lot. Um, always, I always like trying to figure out who the killer is. I like Clue the board game. Um, this this movie it's it's not your typical detective movie. And when I say it like that, is the plot just starts going all over the place. I mean. There's so much left to your imagination because they don't connect the dots for you. It kind of just jumped from scene to scene to scene. And then at the end, you're like, wait, how did we get to this destination? You know, and after we talked at breakfast, I understand a lot more of it than what I would have if I was just watched it. You know what I mean? Like I had, but I was a little bit confused because Marlo deduces to his final conclusion based upon stuff that you don't see or even thought about putting together. Like yeah. like where the three hundred fifty thousand dollars came back because cause remember he had that five thousand or five thousand dollar bill. Yeah. And he's like, Oh, where'd you get this? He's like, Well a client gave it to me. He's like, Yeah, whatever. He's like, Well you just stay right here. So he goes and somebody comes in the room and he goes over there and he's like, Hey Marlo, you were telling the truth, right? Here's my three hundred fifty thousand dollars, you know, in this bag and you're like Okay, so now he just let Marlo go because where did this three hundred fifty thousand dollars come? Yeah. It never and says. He, he, and it never says it, but it's also it's clear that Philip already figured that out before he even went in the room. Apparently, like because like, he got your money back and he realized that immediately. So right. Phil's already figured it out, and they do basically nothing to explain that to the audience. I understand that. No, right. you take me so, so you have the, you have that that issue. Um, you you really don't understand why um, Eileen uh, because there's a part where. Um, Roger just committed suicide in the ocean and like the next day Eileen is gone and Marlo sees her driving away and he's running up to her like the stop site, uh, stoplight trying to catch up to her and it yeah. turns green and she just speeds off um, she doesn't hear him she doesn't see him and so and then he gets hit by a car ends up in the hospital um, so you don't know what's going on there either um, and it's not until the end of the movie where you finally realize that the guy that had murdered his wife, uh, uh, supposedly, yeah. at the beginning of the movie, Terry, basically had committed suicide in Mexico. 
Uh, it was well, in Mexico. Framed his own suicide. Right. Yeah. Framed. Well, well, I'm just saying. Yeah. But you know. Yeah. He killed himself in suicide. They have they have uh, the photos and and, and uh, autopsy photos and all that. Then you deduce later that Marlo, at the end of the movie, Marlo goes down to Mexico and he basically interrogates the police where they come to find out that it was all just a sham anyway and he gave them the $5,000 basically to take them to Terry. Hmm. And so you, you see Marlo and Terry's interaction and Terry's like, look, um, you know, I, I, I just slapped her around a little bit or whatever. He's like you killed her you know mm. you strangled her to death or whatever he says yeah. i can't i can't remember and um he's like well marlo he's like hey just stay down here with me he's like nobody has to know he's like uh all that and then marlo just pulls out a gun and shoots him he kills him he jumps he falls yeah. into the water he you lost know, you're cat. Like, yeah, lost my cat because yeah. <laughs> he lost him. his cat so then you see marlo walking away and driving in is eileen yeah so I was a little confused. Was did Eileen know about this the whole time? Is this Eileen's first time going down there? Is this was this planned out by Eileen and Terry for a long time because they lived right up right up the beach from each other um, on the thing? So I kind of hope because she looks at Marlo, Marlo kind of looks at her. I kind of hope that that was her first time going down there, and then when she gets there, she'll see that he's dead. I don't know if that's the case. She may have been going down there and seeing him all this time, you know, from the thing. I, I, I like to think, like, they've been down there, like, maybe a couple of days, and, like, she just drove off, like, to go grocery shopping or do anything else. Just, like, ran one errand and then came back, and along the way, sees Philip Marlowe on the road walking down the other way. And then she decides to drive back home and figure out what he just did at home and then finds Terry Lennox dead, presumably. Right. You know. Uh, so, to me, it... it, it, it it was hard to watch as far as piecing together because, like I said, I like watching movies. I like trying to pick up on clues and all this. And it's not until after you watch this movie and you sit down and either discuss with somebody like I did with you at breakfast or you start really thinking about maybe on a second uh, viewing it would it would come more yeah. full circle to me. But just watching it for the first time, it was kind of hard to grasp the whole like plot in the middle and then the ending because I was kind of lost. Yeah, and that's nothing. Nothing bad against the movie. It's just that's just how the plot came across. Yeah, I, that's how the plot came across, and also like it was intentionally so because I think like the plot is almost like it's not even the movie. The movie is about how confusing the time space of California was back then. Like it's in a world of like there's very little black and white. No one's necessarily all good or all evil. Like all the cops are kind of jerks and rude to Philip Marlowe, and all the criminals are also kind of rude, but also kind of nice sometimes too. And so it's like a confusing world. Like. No one's good. No one's evil. Everything's kind of a mess, and so there's nothing really to grab onto there. And even Philip Marlowe, like you know, in like Humphrey Bogart films, he had a narration to him. He had ideas. He he voiced his thoughts and what he was thinking to the audience. So like, you were up to date. But even like Philip Marlowe in this uncertain time of an uncertain world, he doesn't even know the right answers until the very end. And so he doesn't even bother giving his own. He doesn't bother sharing his own thoughts because he doesn't know what to say even um, from moment to moment. So like that's one of the things where like it's a time and place of like understanding California of the seven. These, I think, in some in some kind of manner or way, um, but yeah, I, I can kind of like, I I don't think I think I got more of that naturalistic vibe of not trying to worry about the plot till afterwards, and then 
after multiple times I've seen it now, which I've probably seen it probably at least a dozen times or more by now, um, I could just kind of piece together the whole entire plot naturally of like Philip Marlowe's thoughts from every single day in the movie. Like even like the first time he gets a call from Eileen, then after that first night when he mentions when Eileen mentions that she knew Terry Lennox. She concocts, he concocts this whole idea like, oh, I bet Roger Wade killed Eileen, then ran off to the you know rehab facility, and then Terry Lennox knew that he decided to run away with the three hundred fifty thousand dollars, and uh, that Eileen knows about this, and she's not saying anything because she wants to protect her husband, or like that. Then Roger commits suicide, and then you know um, uh, Philip is trying to. He was like, Eileen, did Roger kill Eileen? Did, did Roger kill Sylvia Lennox? You know, did she do that? And then she's like, she maybe he did because that's Eileen's out, and she's still lying to him, and she realized like, oh. Oh, that's all oh, that's wrong and then like she gets he gets paid ten thousand dollars by her in a ten thousand dollar bill and all those kind of things too and then like the money gets returned back to the mobster guys so like he knows that eileen's lying to her in some way so he knows that he can't get contact with her so his only choice now is to go back to mexico which he did at least once and you realize like oh the mexican police are also lying to me they've been paid off by someone either the mobster guys who killed him and then had the mother covered up or like eileen or something like that or roger wade killed him and got covered up but either way like the cops are a no-go but the only way we can go back to is he goes back to mexico and then he you know bribes the cops again and then they take him to terry lennox and get him the information there so like the plot like it makes sense in my mind because I now I kind of understand like how Philip Marlowe can take each step he makes, even though he doesn't explain anything he does. It does make sense of like a private eyes mindset of like, okay, I'm going to investigate this. I, this is my theory. I'm going to do this next, kind of like a like a doctor or an investigator even or a cop. You know, so kind of cool there. Like I think like maybe the film will have like benefits like repeat viewing for you if you ever want to watch it again i don't believe you don't it's fine too like i i really enjoy it for that and i think like it has a longer tail like the more i watch it the more i appreciate it because it's got a little a lot of weird eccentricities like <laughs> well like, yeah like the uh there's like what a group of five or six ladies that are his neighbors on top of the who are always the, topless always, and high as a kite <laughs> yeah and then they're like they're like uh hey marlo if you're going down there can you give me some brownie mix or you know they're just yeah they're just there for no reason. They're there for no reason. They <laughs> yeah. just exist there, and they're not even thinking. I love. I love Harry's. Like I think. I think they're a bunch of lesbians. Like like no no no. They do yoga. What's yoga? I don't know. That's what they do. It's like what do they do for a living? I think they had a candle shop. And it's like I remember when people just had jobs. Yeah. <laughs> it was so. So to me, that was like. I mean, it's a really weird. And I don't know. And I, it may be the way it's shot with the, the cinematographer, the way he did it, where. <laughs> He he flashed out the colors or whatever, kind of made it that old muted, almost yeah. postcard like look to it. Yeah, in a weird like way. the like the dull pastel, you know the yeah, really dull color. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, it's it, I didn't hate the movie. Um, it's just it was just hard to deduce from beginning to end. It's uh, a, it's a hard movie to get initially. I understand right. that entirely. So yeah, and uh, I guess like part of like the more I watch it, the more like I really like it. <laughs> but I understand like it's. You know, as like you see by the film's home, bo- you know, gross worldwide, you know, earnings. <laughs> a lot of people, a lot of people I don't. Do <laughs> right. So, so well, that. I'm just saying, like, if I would have went to the movies to see this, I don't think I would have. It would have given my uh, word of mouth to, hey, you need to go see this oh, movie. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, I think I totally understand, like a bait and switch kind of scenario. Like putting the name Philip Marlowe means detective noir story. 
this is not that in many no. respects. Like, you know, like Elliot Gold's Philip Marlowe is nothing like Humphrey Bogart's Philip Marlowe. Nothing right. at all. You know, very completely different characters. This is more in the vein of like, hey, if you want to watch The Long Goodbye, then you might, like, like maybe you watch like The Big Lebowski if you want to watch a foolish oomph who shouldn't have gotten involved in a conspiracy at all and then learn basically nothing. It's basically the exact same plot of Long Goodbye, except Long Goodbye actually solves the mystery at the end of the day and does some action. But it's like, it's almost like a... Like a like it's almost like a one track. Like you watch like Humphrey Bogart and the Big Sleep, then you watch The Long Goodbye, and then you watch The Big Lebowski, and you just see a complete like uh, like a spectrum from left to right in terms of like <laughs> Marlo. what you expect versus what you get. Right. <laughs> yeah. You know. Um. So for me, it's it's an okay movie. Um. It's not one that I'm gonna. It's not one that I. I wouldn't say you have to watch. I mean. It's got some funny moments in it, like the cat that'll only eat one certain kind of cat food, Curry and he goes cat and he food. goes to the store to get cat food because he's out, and he tries to trick the cat by dumping it. He buys the cheap one, and he tries to open put it the in can, can, and he and forces th- it back in the other right. can. And the cat knows. I was waiting for the cat to reach up and smack him, you know, yeah. but the cat yeah. wouldn't eat it either. He's you know, what I mean? he's like, no, you can't do this because a cat can't. You can't lie to a cat. <laughs> yeah. So I thought that was pretty funny, mm-hmm. um, but it, yeah, it's just a slow burn for me. So. Yeah. Um, so uh, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm like it's very clear on the I'm the other way of the spectrum. Like this is a film I've had on the list for us to cover for a very long time. I really, really love this film. I've probably seen it a dozen or more times, and I probably will in the, in the future again. Continue to watch it over and over and over again because there's just there's just something about it I find kind of soothing in a way. I guess like me, it's just all the pastels and the long goodbye song. It's just like it's something I can just kind of like sit back and kind of like wash over me in a vibe of mystery. <laughs> I guess. Yeah, and you also, should have seen him. He was in here singing the long goodbye a minute ago. Long goodbye. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but also, I just think, uh, uh, yeah, it's just a, it's a it's a yeah, it's just a cool vibe I get from like the seventies and overall in California of just like oh, this is just a world confusion that I relate to every day more and more. <laughs> so right, yeah. so there you have it. That's the long goodbye, and this is why goodbye. we don't let Kyle pick movies no, ever kidding, again. <laughs> um, don't forget, just a few short days. Mm-hmm. Right around the corner say, this weekend. Did, 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 did. Yeah, this weekend. It. It'll be about uh, about four days from now, five days from now. So sixteenth of July. Pretty excited. I'm um, not gonna lie. So mm-hmm. uh, I think you guys will have fun with what Kyle and I will be covering that day, and some surprises we may or may not have in store. Mm-hmm. So, um, but until then, I think the uh, episode's coming to a close, and that's a wrap. And no. what? Oh, what are we doing? It's got to be a long oh, goodbye, and that's a wrap. And that's a wrap. Clip noise.